Thomas Goodfellow made a grab for the brakes, narrowly avoiding a fall. He hadn't ridden a bike in thirty years, and London's Chinatown was congested with early evening traffic. A kamikaze run, he reckoned, little Newport Street. But it had been his fault, for his eyes had wandered as he had waved to Madame Tang. Mind you, since he'd moved into Chinatown some months earlier, he'd learnt it was worth taking risks to be on the good side of Madame Tang. Draped in an ancient woolen cardigan, she shuffled along in much the same manner as at the age of thirteen she had tramped across China, her family's few possessions strapped upon her back, trying to keep from the clutches of Chiang Kai-shek's retreating Kuomintang hordes. Black days, those. Yet the winds of fortune could always change if you survived, and nowadays Madame Tang was one of the most powerful landlords in Chinatown, with an empire which she controlled with considered ruthlessness. And she understood ruthlessness. The soldiers of the Kuomintang had taught her everything there was to know, in one endless weekend in Wuhan, the last occasion she had seen her two younger sisters and mother. Madame Tang acknowledged his wave, while Goodfellow peddled on, thoughts of his daughter Samantha pressing forward upon him, even more troublesome than the traffic on Charing Cross Road. Oh, Sammy, how boundless was the part she played in his world, and how stupid their row, which felt as though it had lasted since the last summer holiday when at the age of fifteen she hadn't come home till two. The youthful anger had poured out relentlessly like a river in flood. This weekend she'd come home on exeat from school to announce she was organising a charitable fashion show fashion against famine or some such nonsense, and asked for her mother's locket. She doesn't need it any more, won't even know it's gone, Daddy. And that had hurt, scraped open wounds. Of course, she was right. He had bought Eleanor the locket to celebrate their wedding anniversary, a lifetime ago when Sammy had been almost twelve, and her brother Stevie almost fourteen. Sammy had admired it from first sight with such an intensity that her mother had promised that one day it would be hers. None of them had understood how quickly that day might come. So he had said no, not yet willing to let go. She had shouted that it was what her mother would have wanted, and then it was his turn to raise his voice and demand to know how the hell she knew. Being preoccupied by thoughts of Sammy, and distracted by new shoes which were rubbing raw, didn't help you when you were about to launch yourself upon Trafalgar Square in the teeth of the rush hour. Nor did Goodfellow's mobile phone, carried with parliamentary papers and a bottle of Bulgarian Cabernet in the wicker basket on his handlebars, when it started to burble just as the traffic lights changed, just as a Vauxhall came to a complete halt in the middle of the intersection. Cabbies shouted, traffic weaved, Goodfellow, scrabbling for his phone, lost control. The chauffeur in the Rolls-Royce behind, taking his cue as ever from his employer, had just put his foot down, only to find his way suddenly barred by what appeared to be an attempted suicide. He slammed the brake. From the back seat of the Wildbury Red Silver Dawn, an exasperated and freshly rumpled passenger mouthed an unmistakably personalised oath at the cyclist. Thomas Goodfellow, Tribune of the People and Member of Parliament for Marshwood, had had his first brush with Frederick E. Corsair,
a man who took pride in representing no one but himself. At almost the same moment, another confrontation was taking place which was to have an equally significant effect on Tom Goodfellow's life and reputation. In an alleyway, scarcely a stone's throw from Little Newport Street, could be found Zhu's apothecary. Chinese doctors, as Mr. Zhu was fond of remarking in his herbal emporium with its jars and display cases, packed with weirdly shaped roots, seeds, deer tails, sun-dried seahorses, and absurdly twisted ginseng, had been at it a long time. Surgically removing abdominal tumours under anaesthetic, while Boadicea was still bathing in pig shit and kneecapping Romans. Westerners, strange, he reflected in his castrated English, paid doctors when sick.